Guys, this is without a doubt one of the most tense and dramatic episodes anywhere to be found in the New Testament. Um, it is one of it is one of Scripture's best known um, heavyweight fights. Um, <clears throat> here are two leading apostles, uh, both belonging to Jesus Christ, face to face, nose to nose, in a in a um, a very open, a very public um, confrontation. Now, if you would like to try and um, uh, paint a rainbow around this, you go right ahead. But there ain't no rainbow. This is an ugly confrontation between Peter and Paul in front of everybody. Now, let me point this out real quick. Guys, um, there is a time lapse or some time has elapsed between verse 10 and verse 11. The reason I know this is because the first 10 verses, the location of what's taking place in verses 1 through 10 is Jerusalem. When you come to verse 11, they're in Antioch. Um, this is a different locale. Antioch, as you might know, is, an, is a Gentile city. It's where the Gentile mission began. It's, it's the place where Christians were called Christians for the first time was in Antioch. When Peter, excuse me, when Paul visited Jerusalem, as recorded in verses 1 through 10, um, he left Jerusalem with James, John, and Peter extending him the right hand of Christian fellowship. When they move to Antioch, when Peter arrives in Antioch, that handshake of Christian fellowship um, has long since been forgotten. And a fight erupts, and, and I'm not talking about fisticuffs, but I'm talking about a shouting match that, that um, erupts very publicly, very openly in Antioch. Now, gang, it goes, I think, without saying that, that both of these were Christian men. They, were, um, they knew about what it meant to be forgiven through the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Um, they were both apostles. They had been specially called and commissioned and, and invested with certain authorities from, from Christ himself. Um, they were both honored personalities in the, in the Christian church and in, in in the leadership of it. They had both been mightily used by God. In fact, I think it's fair to say that the book of Acts, you can almost, you, you can almost say that it's divided equally between Peter and Paul. Uh, half and half. The first half about Peter, the, the second half about Paul. So, knowing all that, and to see them fighting isn't exactly what we expected or wanted. But um, the issue that is at stake here um, is an issue of truth. It's not trivia, which the 21st century church seems to fight about a lot. But um, to do something like this today, to defend the truth like this in our day, we would be called some kind of narrow-minded bigot. Fortunately for us, um, Paul knew nothing of what it meant to be politically correct. 
Um, I brought with me tonight uh, a, a book that I've mentioned before. Uh, maybe I've showed it to you before. Uh, Great Church Fights. This is a book just about the fights that are included um, in, in the Old and New Testaments. <clears throat> Actually, I think it's just the New Testament. Um, but the biggest one of them all is the one that's in front of us in Galatians chapter 2, verses uh, really not just, I mean, it'll go on at least in terms of application in 14, and we'll get it more next week. But <clears throat> this is a fight, and it is one of the most tense and dramatic episodes anywhere to be found in all of the New Testament, the one, those verses that I just read you. Um, now, guys, <clears throat> not every conflict is necessarily a, a power play, which is what we see so much in the evangelical world. Uh, nor is it run <clears throat> by a bunch of neurotics. That is, that is not every conflict. Um, when the things that you believe are so important, and even in some of them what you would say are matters of life and death, then, then tension is inevitable. Um, there's a saying that uh, a boat that produces no wake is not moving. Well, when, uh, you, when you have a, um, a moving boat... And the issues that are, that are at stake are vitally important, then you, you can expect, you can expect some of this. And, and some of it, very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, is, is, is unavoidable and necessary. What we see so often in the Christian church today, um, in the West, is not, is not those necessary and, and good ones. What we see is often just power plays and, fights among neurotics. <clears throat> um, but to take a look at the text, there's a, there's a couple of principles that I think we can glean and, and I hope will be profitable. I want you to notice, notice first in verse 11 that we're told that Peter, when Peter came, I withstood him to his face. I draw your attention to those three words, to his face. Gang, we run from confrontations like this. And a confrontation with a Peter? Ooh. I mean, how, how, how could he be wrong? Which brings me, really, to my first point that I want to make tonight, guys. And the, and the point is the, the reality of human inconsistency. Can leaders err? Oh, my goodness. Um, <clears throat> Abraham lied about his wife and gave her up to a, a pagan king. Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And as a result, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. Nathan, the prophet who was David's right-hand prophet guy who ultimately rebuked him over Bathsheba. Nathan is the one that told David, oh yeah, go ahead, you can build the temple. And then he had to come back and say, oops, I was wrong. Uh, God appeared to me in a dream and that wasn't wrong. What, what David did to Bathsheba is just utterly unthinkable. <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas in, in Acts chapter 15 have another little spat over whether Mark should go along with them on a missionary journey. Guys, um, Abraham, Moses, Nathan, David, Paul, Barnabas, can... Can leaders err? Oh my goodness, yes. 
Um, <clears throat> it is remarkable how easy it is to be wrong. Gang, if they can fail, if they can fall, we can fall too. But if they can rise, we can rise too. But ladies and gentlemen, you need to follow your leaders just as far as they follow Christ. No further. One of the, one of the redemptive qualities of this episode is that apparently <clears throat> Peter accepted his correction, um, which is, a, is an honorable thing. But I might add, this whole idea of some kind of popish uh, suggestion of the supremacy of Peter, oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, he is rebuked openly here and is found to be wrong. In fact, he is so wrong, it is such an embarrassing episode that Rome has tried to find ways to, um, to suggest that this really wasn't Peter. It was another guy by the name of Peter. Um, it, because it couldn't have been the guy who was the first pope. There is another suggestion, um, another suggestion by the liberal end of Roman Catholicism, which uses a Hegelian dialectic. Do do you know what Hegelianism or dialectics is? It's this idea that we first had the gospel of um, Peter, that is the thesis, and then came Paul with his antithesis, and they fought one another, and the result was a new synthesis, and of course, in this uh, liberal wing of Roman Catholicism, that synthesis, that synthesis is Roman Catholicism. <laughs> How convenient. Um, but all I'm, I'm trying to say is that this is such a, a tense and dramatic fight, on the, and, and Peter is in the wrong, that that whole idea of, um, of Peter's supremacy among the apostolate is just, it's just hard to... It's just hard to even say, much less hold to. But anyway, here's what happens. A group from James, that's what the text says. Um, And you know James is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, A group from James uh, came from Jerusalem. uh, And these these are Christians with a Jewish background. They arrive in Antioch. And, and there have been those who suggest that there was a, that Antioch really opposed quite a threat to Jerusalem's headship. And so they had to come over and do something about it. I, I don't know about that. I'm just saying to you that some Christians with Jewish backgrounds coming from James, from Jerusalem, arrive in Antioch. Um, upon their arrival, um, they began to preach that business that we've seen in Acts 15 about you must be circumcised if you ever have to if you're ever going to be saved. That, of course, is a gross form of legalism, guys. Um, um, it's it's the it's the idea where these guys from James come to Antioch and they say it appears to us. Uh, scholarship would say. 
that you must be circumcised to be saved. Um, As a result of their arrival in Antioch, Peter, who had heretofore been eating with Gentiles, stops and withdraws from his table fellowship with Gentiles. Now, guys, do you remember the backstory? Acts chapter 10. Peter is the one who's up on the roof one day and he gets this vision. And you remember all the, 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 the foods come down and, and the Lord says, arise and eat. And Peter says, I would never touch anything unclean. And God says, do not call unclean what I call clean. And then in Peter, he goes uh, you know, to the, the house of Cornelius and there's this great conversion of the whole group. And, and then he, when, when he comes back to report, he says, God taught me what he considers clean, not to consider unclean. And in addition to that, in that great conference that takes place and is recorded in Acts 15, the spokesman to, um, it's, it's verse 7 of Acts 15, the spokesman who says, we don't want to call unclean, we don't want to require the Gentiles anything else, was Peter. He had this visionary experience in Acts 10. He has this leadership voice in Acts 15. And he still does this. And you see what Paul called him. He calls him a hypocrite. He says in verse 13, also played the hypocrite with him. He's a phony. He's two-faced. He's a coward. He compromised. He vacillated. It's, um, there's a certain race consciousness that is also on display. Peter, the first pope, is a bold-faced, two-faced, dissembling, phony hypocrite. Now, The text tells you what prompted that. It's in verse uh, 12. Uh, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing. Hey guys, do you know this, the, the text in Proverbs 29? I think it's Proverbs 29, 25. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. Boy, does it ever. Doesn't it? And by the way, <clears throat> when, I, when it says the fear of man, it's not the fear of that I think you can beat me up. Actually, I fear some women can beat me up. But uh, um, that's not the issue. It's not that I fear that you'll beat me up. It's that I fear that you'll reject me. And that fear of the rejection of men will make us do just about anything. Now listen, guys. This is Peter, who had the vision in Acts 10, who goes to Cornelius' house and sees that all of these Gentiles converted. He makes a statement in Acts 15, verse 7, about not requiring anything. 
And then something comes over him to make him act like this in Galatians chapter 2. And what is that thing that came over him? Oh, the frown of people. I certainly couldn't have you frown on me. Because I, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, in my opinion, the most frequent idol that appears among us, among us, I think, is this very thing, the fear of man. It's not that we fear that people will beat us up. We fear that they will reject us. And the thing that we so desperately live for is their approval. We've got to get them to approve of us, to feel good about ourselves. How could Peter do this? For the same reason we can do some of the stuff that we do. Because I fear men. Um, Whereas the Bible calls me to a fear of God, I don't fear God, I fear men. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, your behavior will go to abject extremes of wickedness. You will lie because you can't imagine. I remember this is... um, When I was pastoring in Ocala, um, um, that was back when we had uh, phone recording machines. You know, we don't do those anymore. We got those little things that we put in our hands. But but anyway... um, and, and, and I didn't want this one anymore. And so I, I, I didn't know how to get rid of it. So I, I went to the little switch box thing, you know, that was in the side of the wall. And, and I, I looked in there and I didn't see anything really complicated. And I grabbed a hold of the wire and I just yanked it right out of there. And it came real easily. And I, well, that was set aside. Next thing I know, somebody comes and says, Dr. Young, our, all of our telephones are down. And they said, do you know Why? <laughs> And I said, no. <laughs> How could that possibly be? Not only that, the, the telephone man comes up in his truck. And he's going to have to fix all that our phones are down now. And he comes and says, do you have any idea why the phone suddenly went out? And I said, no. No. <laughs> I mean, how could anybody do something that stupid? And I would never do something that stupid because I'm really intelligent and I would never yank a wire out of the wall. I would never do that because if you find out that I did that, you will think that I'm stupid. And I can't bear that thought that you would think that I am stupid. And therefore, my only other Option available is to lie to you. The fear of man brings a snare. Oh, does it ever. And until we are set free from that kind of tyranny of people's approval, I'm telling you, Oh, I shouldn't say it like this because, ladies, just let me say it like this and then I'll correct it. You ladies are the worst. I didn't really mean that. <laughs> I didn't really say that. Uh, <clears throat> but you are so desperate to have people think that you are the best mother in the community. By the way, you men are worse. <clears throat> I had to say that, guys. Um, I mean, but do you under- ladies, do you understand what I'm saying? 
if our kids are not, do something, you know, we, we'll do anything to avoid that kind of humiliation. Because I live to get your approval. That's how you explain. The text says it, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you explain Peter's behavior. His fear of the guys, the hot shots from Jerusalem. I feared a, text, a, a, a telephone fix-it man. He didn't come from Jerusalem, and he wasn't from James. That's how you see a man who had had a vision from God stand up and a counsel and speak the truth and then live an absolute life of hypocrisy because of our fear of men. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it is a controlling sin. It is an idol that's got to die in a lot of us. And it needs to die sooner rather than later. I'm telling you guys, and I've said this to you before, I mean, I, 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 I bet you I've said it six times before, but, but let me say it again because it illustrates my point. I hope you like me. I hope you say nice things about me. I hope you tell your friends that he's the greatest Bible teacher I've ever sat under. I just think he's the best. I hope you say nice things about me. But if you don't, it's okay. Because I don't need you. I don't need you to approve of me for me to have worth. My worth does not come to me from you. My worth comes from a personal vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. And once I get that settled, now I am free to love you. I don't need you. I can love you. I don't need you to give me something. Your approval. I'm a, free, I'm a free man now. I'm free to go serve you. I'm free to go love you. But until I get rid of that thing where you control me, it's abject tyranny, ladies and gentlemen. It's tyranny. That is what explains the behavior of a man who knew better. I could talk the rest of the... Well, I ain't got but eight minutes, but... Um, um, guys, fear paralyzes us. Um, it limits you. It tyrannizes you. Truth is the thing that sets you free. And I want you to know something. You have value, whether I think so or not. And so do I. And I didn't get it from you. And you didn't get it from me. We got it vertically, not horizontally. And I, and I, I could not do you a better favor than to help you put a dagger in the throat of that idol that helps you or that motivates you to want men's approval. The sooner you get that thing dead, which, by the way, it never dies, but uh, I I can testify. Uh, As soon as you weaken it, you'll... um, You'll love it. Okay, I got to move. Um, guys, um, the thing that is at stake here, the thing that makes Paul so upset is, is that um, the eating and the drinking is immaterial. 
This was not just an honest mistake on the part of Peter, but what Peter was doing by his actions, which, by the way, always speak louder than words, you know that. What he is doing by his actions is distorting grace and undercutting Christian liberty. Uh, You know, I told you, if this was my own uh, synonym, but if I had to find a synonym for the word grace, it would be the word freedom. That's just my own little opinion, but I mean, what I'm saying is, when Peter says, oh, I can't uh, eat with those guys, what you're doing is undercutting the gospel message of grace that sets me free and bringing me back into some kind of bondage. Peter caved into pressure, and Paul said he was to be blamed. Verse 11. Ladies and gentlemen, if... I can see Peter, I can see Paul walking up to Peter right now and saying, Peter, I smell ham on your breath, you hypocrite. Gang, if I refuse to eat meat um, out of respect for a weaker brother, then good for me. But if I refuse to eat meat... Because I think that somehow enhances my righteousness. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a denial of Christ. You know, good Christians, they don't, they don't do that. That's awful, ladies and gentlemen. It's just awful. I, let me just put it in terms that we all know. If I give up my Christian liberty of drinking a bottle of a glass of wine, if I give that up so that weaker brothers will not stumble, then good for me. But if I give up my Christian liberty of drinking a glass of wine because I think that somehow makes me a good Christian, you have ate it, you have eaten into the vitals of the gospel. Good Christians don't do that. Well, they don't, do they? Huh? How about that? Peter's actions, unwittingly perhaps, is an endorsement of law. Oh, the weakness of our flesh, ladies and gentlemen. I can have a vision, I can do this, and then I can still be a hypocrite. Guys, one other, two other lessons. Oh, gosh. Um, it says I got five minutes. Um, one application I think of all this is that when it comes to justification, when it comes to the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, we can't budge. Not an inch. Not an inch. Not an inch. Um, you know, we've got this little thing that I think is attributed to Augustine in the essentials unity and the non-essentials liberty, but in all things charity. Okay, but in the essentials unity. In the non-essentials, okay. But in the essentials, unity, we can't budge an inch. We don't run from confrontations like this over the essentials. We go out in the public forum and we have them. Um, Now, real quickly. Guys, I would suggest to you that some conflict is inevitable in every church. Some conflict is even necessary. Um, When it's over truth. We can never become an agency that insists on peace at any price. So no church is going to be exempt from 
from all conflict. The question is, will the conflict ultimately divide us? Or can we heal biblically? Gang, what what do I mean when I say heal biblically? Well, certainly I mean forgiveness. And guys, I've talked about that several times here before, and so I'm going to do something else tonight. But, you know, the, the idea that I forgive as I have been forgiven. How was I forgiven? I was forgiven by Christ's death. How was I forgiven? I forgive. I'm supposed to forgive like that. But I've said that again and again. But this one I haven't drawn your attention to, and I want you to see it. So if you'll turn real quickly to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll quit with this. This is, all I'm trying to define is what it means to heal biblically. We forgive as we've been forgiven. But listen to this. This is Peter talking, the one that got rebuked by Paul. He says later in his life, verse 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Love covers When there's an offense, if I love you, I cover it. You want an example? Her name is Susie Young. She, by the way, is in Nashville with her grandchildren right now. But in marriage, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not know how to operate under that principle, your marriage is doomed. Because I love, I cover. Susie does a lot of it. But ladies and gentlemen, we're supposed to do that. Not just in marriage. And it's costly. It's always costly, ladies. Let's say you come over to my house and you, because you're being a a maniac, break an expensive lamp in my house. And you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I say, it's okay. It's okay. Forget it. And I cover it. Okay, but I still got a broken lamp and I got to replace it. It cost me something. Ladies and gentlemen, to cover your sin cost me. To cover my sin, it cost Jesus. Yes, but ladies and gentlemen, the reason that we fight, if indeed we do, is because of a deficiency to love. Because one of the characteristics of love is that love covers. Yes, he did offend me. Yes, he did do that against me. Yes, she did say those things about me. Yes, yes, yes. But I love and love covers. So if we're not covering, don't talk about the offense. The real problem is we don't love. We don't understand 1 Corinthians 13. That thinketh no evil. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, healing biblically means that we forgive and we cover. We cover our offenses. God, would you use those lessons to enhance the worship of your people who are a part of Grace Evangelical Church? Would you you use this negative model on the part of Peter to remind us of just how flawed we all are, just how easy it is to be wrong, just how in how how inconsistent we are, how much we long for men's approval and consequently will do anything to get it, 
Would you remind us of those things, Father, so that we might repent, that we might find ourselves returning to the gospel over and over again to find grace to help us in these times of our recognition of our sin. Father, we see it very clearly in Peter. We don't see it so clearly in ourselves. By your Holy Spirit, shine a biblical light on all those nooks and crannies of our souls where all this stuff lurks. Help us to put it to death. We ask it for Jesus' sake and in his name.